The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads. Nothing beats a weekend away with the family in the great outdoors, whether it's camping, hiking, river rafting, or anything in between. With third-row seating, nobody is left out. The entire family can experience the thrill together, and nobody wants a dead phone. Available dual wireless charging pads make it so nobody gets stuck, and we can check our fantasy baseball teams together. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Domingo Santana, ooh, I wanna have ya. Tanakas, Fakata, Jag, like Michael Waka, Polanco, and Franco. Hello there, and welcome to another episode of Fantasy Baseball Today. I'm Scott White, joined by Chris Towers, and this is an extra special episode of Fantasy Baseball Today. We are going with no notes. No No notes. notes. It's anarchy. It is complete anarchy. We're completely freewheeling it here. Nothing to guide us. They have left... The substitute teacher without a lesson plan, and it is certain to end in disaster. Or maybe not. Maybe it'll be the best show we've ever done. We'll prove how talented we are, and we won't have to try so hard going forward. Scott, in that case. were you the kid who, when that situation happened with the uh, substitute teacher, were you the kid who raised your hand and said, um, excuse me, we were supposed to be doing this? No. Okay. <laughs> no. I'm just, I'm just asking. I just thought it was worth asking. I probably would have been thinking that, but I would not have been bold enough to say that. I may have said it in private. Were you if, the? If I did. Were you the? Uh, excuse me, miss. You forgot to collect homework. Were you that kid? Uh, no, definitely not that kid. Okay. No. I no. could. I just. I could see you being that kid. I was too shy to be that kid, I think. And probably still am if I was still a kid. But I'm not. I'm a (laughs) grown-up, and I am a grown-up hosting a podcast about fantasy baseball. (laughs) So uh, I don't know. I don't know what that means. But we're going to talk about rankings today. We're going to talk about rankings. Uh, Chris is doing rankings again. Not not his first time doing full fantasy baseball rankings, no. but it's been a couple years. It's been a little while. He's had some role changes over the years, and now he's back in a role where he's going to be doing some <laughs> fantasy baseball rankings. And he hates it, is what I understand. He hates doing fantasy baseball rankings. I mean, look, it's not just fantasy baseball rankings. The whole process of rankings, it's just, it doesn't work super well with my brain. I, I it's, it's a lot of, like, it's very tedious, and I, I'm good. I'm a big picture guy. I like to look at a big picture and rankings. You got to look at a very small picture. Uh, Minutia. But I'm but I'm I'm looking forward to the process. You know, I think it does. It makes you a better. It makes you a better analyst to have to. Uh, you got to justify your your things. And so, you know, I, eventually I'll do that. 
it, and it can be really hard to justify sometimes it the 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 small distinctions between <laughs> players and the rankings can be this very subtle inexplicable detail in your mind yeah. that you know you, you can't really justify to another person you just know it's right and uh so that's that's where we land today the exercise today is you in gearing up to create your rankings are going to challenge me on my rankings that already exist. Yeah, and it's not necessarily and, me telling you that you're wrong uh, because I'm not prepared to tell you that you're wrong yet. I will eventually <laughs> tell you that you're wrong. Uh, but it's more like this thing jumped out at me. What's up with this? Yeah. That kind of thing. Yeah. Well, I'm not prepared to justify that I'm right necessarily either because you sent me this list Again, no notes. You sent me this list about 10 minutes before we started recording. And uh, these rankings I've mostly put together in October. So they're not, they're not uh, top of mind. I've adjusted them some since then. But, uh, but I think no, it's I a good exercise. I think this it, is, uh, it's always good to be challenged on your assumptions. Yes. And, uh, you know, I'm sure the, the listeners have some questions about some of these guys too. So I'm sure they do. I'm how do you sure want to start do. Well, you've given me two players in each <laughs> position, so we'll start at uh, the boringest, or maybe the second boringest after relief pitcher. We'll start with catcher. We'll start with catcher. And the two players you're challenging me on here are Austin Nola and Joey Bart. So fire away. Yeah, so Austin Nola, you have, uh, and this is your, your rotisserie rankings, you have Austin Nola eighth at catcher. Um, and I think that's really interesting because we're, we're looking at a player who has played 127 games in the majors and has an 808 OPS, which is frankly for a catcher quite good. Um, but he is old, uh, 29 year old rookie, 30 year old second year player in 2020, which means he will be a 31 year old third year player in 2021. Uh, and he frankly, was not a good hitter in the minors. 679 OPS. Uh, I think he transitioned to catcher pretty late in his career. I want to say he started out uh, as an infielder and transitioned to catcher about five years ago. That could explain uh, why. But even you know in AAA, which he did not really reach until uh, later in his career, he has a 737 OPS. So I guess my question is, what changed? Why isn't this... Uh, you know, a, a, a lesser version of what happened with Mitch Garver last year. Why isn't it a lesser version of what happened with Mitch Yeah, like Mitch he's not Gar as good well, as not, Mitch Garver was sure. in that small I, sample size, but it, it's a, you know, it's a small sample size from a guy who didn't have the track record to back it up. I don't know. I don't know why you're throwing Mitch Garver into this mix, okay? Mitch Garver is his own separate situation. I'm not ready to make a conclusive statement on Mitch Garver <laughs> and how good he is or isn't. Uh, but I will say for Austin Nola, I had big doubts about him going into last year. He wasn't projected to be a starter going into last year. Remember, Tom Murphy hurt his foot and mm -hmm. never came back from it. And so Nola uh, held the job for the Mariners and, and did so well in it that the Padres acquired him for their, uh, their playoff run. Uh, he got better. He got better in basically every way so that the expected stats – matched up with the actual stats he was putting up. He cut down on the strikeouts, more exit velocity. I mean, just really every way a hitter can improve, he did with increased exposure. And of course, it was a small sample. And of course, uh, there it, some skepticism is deserved because of that. But 
There's also the matter, and I hope this doesn't end up being the rationale behind all of these rankings. Who the heck am I supposed to put ahead of him? Because here's who I have. Who, here's who's ahead of him right now. JT Real Muto. Real Muto. I got to get used to saying his name the correct way. JT Real Muto, obviously. Wilson Contreras, Salvador Perez, Gary Sanchez, Travis Darno, Yasmani Grandal, Will Smith, and then Austin Nola at number eight. Who that I have behind him, do you think I well, could justify putting ahead of him? Why not James McCann, who has been just as good over the last couple of seasons in a you know larger sample size? It's not a huge sample size, but we're talking about 587 plate appearances to roughly 400. For no, and he's one spot behind. So, like we yeah, talked about, one, the the differences between these guys could be pretty slim. It is pretty slim, and and in fact, when I first made out the rankings. I suspected James McCann was signed to be a starter somewhere, but it wasn't a given. Uh, so that made it pretty easy to distinguish between. They're, they're basically neck and neck. They're basically neck and neck. Their success has mostly been recent. Um, and 2020 was more validating than 2019. It, it, it's not a huge difference for me, Nola over McCann. Uh, but the point is, like, catcher really peters out after that. I do have Mitch Garver there a couple spots behind if you want to go the upside route and just gamble on a bounce back season when things went very wrong for Mitch Garver in 2020. And maybe that's what I'll end up doing in shallower leagues, but um, you know, kind of the more cautious approach of rankings. Yeah. I'm going to have Nola and James McCann ahead. And I would even throw in Christian Vasquez. I think there's kind of, you know, I think McCann Vasquez and Nola are kind of a, a three person tier. They seem like the same guy to me but the um, progression their career has taken in terms of yeah and the production becoming relevant yeah you know we're talking about you know basically two good seasons for all three of them with an ops in the low 800s um i guess my only thing with nola would be that just the sample size is smaller for him than either of the other two it seems a little less sure but you're right you know this is one of the things that i like about this exercise is you know i'm going through it and i would probably put Garver, McCann, and Vasquez ahead of him, but I don't know how much further I could go just because, you know, it does seem like there's probably a, a teardrop at 11. Yeah. Um, so then the other guy, who I, I think is probably too low, although there's not necessarily a good justification for it, would be Joey Bart, who's 22nd. Um, where would you... Had you known that Joey Bart was going to play all last season, where would you have ranked him? In, in the top 15, I don't remember exactly where. I, you know what? When he first got called up, I think I probably had him in the top 10 just yeah. because catcher being what it was, give me the impact guy, and if it doesn't work out, I'll move on to to some, somebody boring. So probably had him in the top 10 then. Um, but, you know, to, the, the biggest thing here is Buster Posey, and he's yeah. going to be back. He sat out all of 2020, and that's what allowed Bart to come up. And Bart was terrible. Bart needs yes. more time in the minors, clearly. Um, they signed, uh, recently the Giants signed, uh, I can't remember who, but somebody to be the backup catcher to Posey. So there's really no chance yeah. Bart is making the opening day roster. So that's the biggest thing. Bart is down there. Um, uh, actually, he's not where I thought he would. 22nd. He's 22nd, yeah. Where, yeah. so... How much would you need to see from him in the minors? Let's say 
Brandon Belt, who's been, you know, there have been some rumors about him. I think he's an expiring contract this year. Um, let's say Brandon Belt gets traded, you know, before the season. What would you need to see from Joey Bart to move him up into your top 15? Could he do anything? <laughs> to move into my, like, if, if he was assured at bats. Yeah, that's what I mean. If, if Buster Posey was going to play first base full time, which would presumably be what, hap- what would happen if Brandon Belt got traded. You know, as bad as he was, so I have the 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 Diamondbacks tandem of Dalton Varsho and Carson Kelly right ahead of him, and I could see maybe moving Bart ahead of them just because they're going to be eating at bats, uh, stealing at bats from each other. Uh, but then, like, there's some pretty interesting catchers in that 15 to 20 range, including Posey himself, which I'd obviously have to take ahead of Bart. Jorge Alfaro, he's always interesting. Tom Murphy, who's going to be back for the Mariners and without Austin Nola there. Big power for him. Sam Huff, uh, Rangers prospect who got called up late and has a big power about himself. Some, some, uh, some prospect list gives him like a, give him like a 70 power grade. So I'm not sure I, after, as, as inept as Bart looked at the plate last year, he was awful, awful. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't think he deserves any benefit of the doubt. If he has a job, I mean, he needs to go down. He needs to produce big, and um, and then we'll revisit. But no, I'm not. Uh, I'm not. I I think it's a vote of confidence that in a two catcher league, I have him as being drafted. <laughs> yeah, that's that's probably fair. Yeah. Um. All, all right, right. So let's move on to first base, where you have uh, Pete Alonso and Vladimir Guerrero. Those are the two you're challenging me on. Yeah, and I I think Vlad. Like, at what point does he have to start producing to be worth? Like, is this this is the last year that we're giving him the benefit of the doubt like this, right? He's coming off a year, a year, sixty games. He played every game: two sixty two, three twenty nine, four sixty two, seven ninety one OPS, uh, nine home runs, thirty three RBI. That's, I mean, really, it's like a twenty two homer, probably eighty five RBI pace, maybe. Um. It feels like we're still giving him a lot of credit. And yeah, he's only 22 or will only be 22 uh, on March 16th. So he won't be 22. He'll be 22 on opening day, but he hasn't shown it yet. And, um, you know, you've got him at 11 at first base in front of some guys who, you know, frankly have Max Muncy, Mike Mustakis, Miguel Sano, uh, Eric Hosmer, uh, you know, I think, it's the one small sample size season where he's really performed at a significantly higher and, level. And by the way, it was really just for a couple of weeks yeah. in September. <laughs> he kind of Hosmer went back to his old habits of yeah. the high ground ball rate and everything. So I'm really, I'm really not a fan of Hosmer moving forward as encouraging as he was to start out yeah. 2020. And I think that's fair. Um, but I think you could even go, you know, Carlos Santana, Reese Hoskins, Josh Bell. These are all guys who have done, more than Vladimir Guerrero for sure. Um, so yeah, what have you seen anything that makes you encouraged by him so far beyond just the pred- pedigree? Well, I think the, the 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 number that's cited often is peak exit velocity as opposed to average exit velocity, yeah. which is you know very impressive. Like he's he kind of stands out among all hitters. Vladimir Guerrero does for that. Um, 
So that's that's the number you often see cited. But honestly, the reason I rank him, it's interesting that you're wondering, do I have Vladimir Guerrero too high? Because I'm sure within the industry, I'll be among the lowest on him, if not the very lowest. This ranking is partly because uh, it's as low as I feel like I could justify ranking him, given how high everyone else is ranking him. Mm-hmm. Like, I know I'm not drafting him as as my number 11 at first base. It's... It's not going to happen. I don't want. I I don't want to be so far out on an island that if he does break through, it's just absurd looking back on it, and I'm laughed out of the room. I guess. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. I I don't. I don't feel like I could justify ranking him lower because the consensus is. I'm I'm already defying the consensus by so much. Yeah, it's interesting. He is, um, you know. Like I said, the 791 OPS in year two was is his best so far in two years. And then you look at uh, you know the depth charts projections on fan graphs, and they have him hitting 300, 371, 520. And Steamer has him hitting, well, I guess it's the same projection. I didn't realize that's how they did it. All right. So yeah, Steamer <laughs> has him hitting 300, 371, 520. Um Man, that's a lot of that's a lot of wishing on something that we haven't seen. Because you're right, you have him, you have him 91st overall. Uh, yep. Based on the steamer projections, he would be the 25th best player in uh, roto scoring, and his ADP in NFC drafts is 56. I think you're right. You know, I, this is not one that I necessarily think you're wrong on or questioning. I, I think it just was worth discussing because. Sure. You can only go and you can only go so far in, uh, you know, wishing on a player. At some point, you've got to see that player become what he's supposed to be. And, yeah. you know, he's a great contact hitter, improved in year two, just like we wanted to see. The exit velocity was elite last season, average and max. Um, but he's still. He hits the ball on the ground too much. His ex-woba was only 321. He actually outperformed his ex-woba last season, which is not what you would expect uh, from a guy who doesn't have speed. And so I I think it's almost too high for Vladimir Guerrero. Uh, Yeah. And I hear you. Makes me think he's not going to be on any of my teams either. I guess a way to justify it further, um, you made me think of it with something you said there, that there is, you you can't just hope for the best case scenario, except once you reach a certain point in the draft, you can. I mean, you're you're investing too much not to get something more assured until you reach a certain point of the, the draft where it's worth pursuing upside. Yeah. And I think where I have Guerrero ranked, Makes is sense. about that point where I'm willing to, uh, you know, give up the safe pick to get the upside. So that's you know Max Muncy, Mike Mustakis. Yeah. N- neither one of them are going to produce like a second, third rounder. You know, so I think that's at least not I think that's, for our first baseman. Yeah. Muncy could as a second baseman, it's possible in a points league maybe, but you know the batting yeah. average is going to hold him back in roto. Uh, anyway. So let's talk about Pete Alonso. That's the other one you're challenging the ranking here. Yeah, and that's one where, again, I'm not sure if it's too high or too low. Um, sixth at first base. Sixth behind at first Freddie base. Freeman, Cody Bellinger, DJ LeMahieu, 
probably more probably be drafted at second base in most leagues. Lemay, he will. Jose Abreu and Luke, Luke Voigt. I mean, those are the two interesting ones, Abreu and Voigt, who yeah. were nowhere near this high in my rankings, you know, except for what happened in the most recent 60 games. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, Freeman, Bellinger, LeMahieu, Abreu, Voigt, and then Pete Alonso. And it feels like there's definitely... I would guess your tiers probably would have a drop after Abreu. Um, but I don't want to speak for you. I don't know if you've done that yet, but that just looking at it, I, I would guess you're a little more skeptical of Voigt than Abreu. A little. It's it's pretty close because the thing is, Abreu had a f- firm track record. Yeah. Voigt, we didn't really, we still didn't. There was a lot of reason to believe Voigt was good, but how good and even what good looked like for him. I, I mean, frankly, I'm still not sure about that because the the good Voight we saw in 2019 was different from the good Voight we saw in 2020. Was different from the good Voight we saw in 2020 or in from 2018. Even. Yeah. The late, late season 2018 yeah. one. Yeah. So, um, you know how it, in, in terms of how they produced in 2020, it's a clear, it, it's clear a Bray and Voight belong in the top tier with like yeah. LeMayhew and even, you know, you could even justify putting them, tearing them with Freddie Freeman. Uh, in terms of how I'm going to act when I make out my tiers and, and how I'm going to draft, probably going to have zero shares of Abreu and Voigt because mm-hmm. I would tier them with Alonzo and Olsen, who I have just behind Alonzo. I, I think those two are very similar, by the way. And I said that going into 2020, Alonzo and Olsen, both underachieved. Uh, Olsen, I think, more significantly. Um, but I, I, I expect... I expect they'll be underdrafted while Abreu and Voigt will be overdrafted. And, uh, you know, I, I just don't see the justification for ranking Alonzo any higher uh, given how drastically Abreu and Voigt outperformed him in 2020. Yeah, I, I guess it just comes down to what's really tough about Pete Alonzo is the level he performed at in 2020 well you want to say it's only 57 games but really it was the second half of 2019 where he performed at that level as well you know he hit below 240 i believe in after the all-star break and he was more like a uh you know high 30s low 40s homer guy than the 53 homer guy he hit for the full season and so you know we're coming up on probably 120 or so games for pete alonzo where he kind of looks like Reese Hoskins, like a better Reese Hoskins. I mean, I still think Olsen's the closest comparison. I, I see them both as 250 to 260 hitters with 40 to 45 homer potential. I don't see Alonzo hitting 53 again. Yeah. Um, but I think what I'm projecting him for, you know, I, I think this is the appropriate point to rank him. We got to move on to second base. Second base, you're challenging me on Jeff McNeil and Jake Cronenworth. Yeah, why do you hate Jeff McNeil? You're so <laughs> low on Jeff McNeil, Scott. You have Jeff there McNeil 10th at second base. There was no base. power. There was no power and in 2020. And, and, you know, that was the big question entering 2020 was that big power half, second half power surge we saw in 2019 that elevated him to near elite status in fantasy. Would he follow up on it? He did not. 
He did not at all. Um, and because it's a 60-game sample, I can't, I, I still can't say, okay, Jeff McNeil's not a power hitter. I really don't know. But there are more doubts now than there were at this point last year. And you kind of can say it, right? Because you got 63 games in 2018. You got 60. How many did he play in, in 2020? Did he play all 60? However many he played, roughly 60, 60-ish. Uh, and then you look at the splits, and he had seven home runs in 75 games in the first half of 2019, and then 16 in the second half of 2019. So you basically have the one-half season, and really even then it was 57 games. You have yeah. kind of two roughly 60-game samples of him hitting four and three home runs, one of him hitting 16, and then an 87-game sample of him hitting seven, or a 75-game sample of him hitting seven. Here's the thing that people always overlook with Jeff McNeil, though, is 2018, his final minor league season, actually the year he got called up, mm -hmm. he hit 19 home runs in 339 minor league at-bats, 88 games. He had 19 home runs. And that was, uh, you know, he, he did spend part of that at the PCL. But, only but that was pre-Jews ball. Yeah. And 14 of the 19 home runs came at double-A before being promoted to the PCL. Yeah. So, like, he showed power in the minors, too. It's not like that second half in 2019 was just completely out of nowhere. But it's been, it's been, because you know what's weird about it? Even the four home runs he hit in 2020, they came on four consecutive days <laughs> in September. So there was just nothing, 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 and then four days in a row. Here it comes for Jeff McNeil. And, um, you know, the season ended before we saw where it went. So I don't know. He's a really good contact hitter. I can say that for sure. But I, I, I don't know what else I can say about him. And I'm, I'm worried about, um, you know, I, I want to limit my investment in him. I don't, I don't want to draft him like he's a difference maker. I want to draft him more like he's a fallback at the position because that's all I'm confident in him being. So 10th at second base is where I have him. I'm not sure we said that, but 10th. Uh, between Max Muncy and Mike Moustakis, both of whom we mentioned at first base. Yeah. Uh, so the other guy I wanted to talk about was Jane Cronenworth. And I, I guess I have to ask, you have him 13th in the rankings you sent me. Is that accounting for uh, the Kim signing for the Padres and the assumption that he won't be playing every day? No, mm. it was not accounting for that. Uh, I had him there before that signing ever happened. And I expect he will play... Uh, close to every day it's it sounds like that's the plan he's going to be kind of moving around a lot um actually either either he or kim will be moving around a lot mm -hmm. i don't think they've totally decided who but they're they're both going to play a lot you, you so you think it's too low i think it might be too high given the playing time concerned but, oh, I, but okay. i'd like to uh i'd like to be talked into it because this is another guy who you know the sample size is pretty small uh another Late career breakout. Um, and he's only 26, so it's not quite the same. He'll be 27 by opening day. Uh, but he basically had one half season in 2019 as a 24-year-old. Uh, and then the 54 games last season where he was really, really good for the Padres. Um, mm -hmm. Although not necessarily in a way that's all that conducive to fantasy performance or to fantasy production. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so I just wonder is is this a is this a ten to twelve homer, ten to twelve steel guy who's not playing every day, or do you think he's better than that? I think it's kind of irrelevant given the position. Because look who <laughs> I have. Look who I have two spots behind Cronenworth. Yes. David Fletcher. Yeah. Who will be lucky to be a 12-12 guy, you know? And you have him, you know, one spot behind Tommy LaStella, who has been very up and down. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, it's... Uh, I think it's an interesting... Um, yeah. It's an interesting spot because I, I can be talked into a couple of those guys. How high do you think Cronenworth could... What, what do you think the range could be? Well, here's the other part of it why it's easy to see a glass half full in my mind is because you look at the expected stats for Cronenworth this year. He hit, he hit 285. Uh, he slugged 477. His expected stats were 324, top two percentile. Uh, and top two percent of the league. And, and a five X slug was 541 versus the actual slug of 477. So he greatly, like he, that's Marcelo Zuna levels of underachievement. Uh, and obviously, it was a tiny sample. That goes for for all of it. But um, he, he looks like he should have been better than he was. I mean, it's not just those numbers. If you dig deeper in the numbers, um, how hard he hit the ball, uh, how little he struck out, how much he walked. I mean, the really good signs here for Jake Cronenworth that suggest to me uh, he hasn't peaked yet. I'm not super confident in it, but I'm ranking him only 13th at a very weak position, and I don't think, I don't think it's it's taken a big swing for him. Considering the the couple guys who I rank lower that I think have a strong case to rank higher are Nick Madrigal, yes, at 16, who didn't hit very well when we saw him last year, and he didn't run much at all. I expect him to hit well. I don't know how much he's going to run, and then the other guy is Dylan Moore, who, uh, you know. I have the fantasy point per game numbers up right here. He yep. was second. He was behind only DJ LeMahieu last year in fantasy points per Pretty game. Good. But is Dylan Moore? Like, where did that come from? I have no. I have no faith in him at all. He's he's not young. He was not on anybody's radar at any point in his career before that. So I'm very skeptical of him. Uh, but I could I could understand dra- drafting him ahead of Cronenworth, especially since he's a he appears to be a base dealer. All right. All right. I think that's, so, I, I could also I'll just time with Estella. We'll see where he signs. We'll see if he's playing okay. every day. Of course. Um, but he mostly backed up that shocking 2019 outbreak. That was another guy who just came out of nowhere. Had hit for like, had like five home runs as a professional or as a major leaguer before uh, hitting 16 in 2019. And then, you know, largely backed it up last season. So uh, we'll mm-hmm. see where he lands, but he's someone who I could see being ahead of Cronenworth. I have him ahead of Cronenworth. I'm one spot ahead. Well, so. that's why we're, I could see him there. Okay. <laughs> All right, let's do one more, and then we'll take a little break here. Um, third base, Yoan Moncada and Cabrian Hayes are the two. So Moncada, I almost want to just give him a pass completely for 2020 the problem is i understand why there's skepticism about yon makata he had you know 200 games 
of being a low batting average, super toolsy, high strikeout guy uh, in 2017 and 2018. Then he breaks out in 2019, cuts the strikeout rate, puts all the tools together, becomes one of the best hitters in, in baseball. Great fantasy option. Then 2020, he goes right back to what he was in 2018 and 2019, like almost exactly the same numbers. Walk rate went back up to where it was. Strikeout rate went back up to where it was. Uh, batting average went down. Totally get why we could just look at 2019 as, well, that's the outlier. My problem is, I don't know. Like He, was, he talked openly about how he just never felt right after recovering from uh, coronavirus. And Scott Kingery is another player who talked about that. And we've seen it in uh, – Miles Garrett is a good example of that in the NFL of a guy who just said it took him weeks to get right. And in the 2020 MLB season, there weren't weeks to get right. You know, he didn't have time to take off, and you had nine weeks. Um, do you fall somewhere in the middle on that? Are you more skeptical or less skeptical? Well, I was kind of a skeptic. You'll remember we had we yeah. had some epic arguments about Yon Makata, the two yeah. of us specifically heading into last year. I, I thought it was a, a a volatile profile to begin with, and didn't you know the investment the required investment was much higher. It was like I don't know how early was he going last year? At least like round six. Yeah, in, it was something in a roto like that. League. Yeah. Um, and I just wasn't willing to do it, especially since it seemed like he had to have an outlier strikeout rate for him to, uh, that was, that was a minimum requirement for him to be, Mm -hmm. to be even useful in fantasy. And then he didn't, like you said, I mean, it wasn't just that there, there was nothing redeeming about, um, Yon Moncada's 2020, like his, infield fly ball rate was 19%. That's really bad. Everything just cratered the eggs of the law. It was, it was terrible. So you almost have to give him a pass because it was just too unbelievably bad. And then he, you know, the, the, the COVID. Uh, yeah, to put it in the context, his hard hit rate, his exit velocity, uh, his max exit velocity, like they weren't just down his barrel rate. They weren't just down from 2019, which was pretty much a career high across the board. It's worse than it had ever been. You know, this wasn't just like, oh, he just got went back to being that guy who hit the ball hard but had struck out too much, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, it's a good point. So it, it's my ranking 13th here is where I have him. Did we mention that? We got to mention that. Uh, yeah. We got to mention where I actually have him. 13th <laughs> at the position. And like third base is weird. Third base is the hardest position to rank because virtually everybody underachieved at it. In 2020, remember it was it was considered un like yeah. amazingly deep heading into the season. Like, how could you go wrong at third base? You got to try and fit three three third basemen on your roster. There's just so many to go around, and like nobody, nobody was good. Nobody was good. It, it was crazy. Um, so you know, just it's it's I I bring that up because when I mention I have him behind, I have Moncada behind Gio Urshela and ahead of Chris Bryant. I'm not even sure people listening can get a sense of what that means. Um, but, you know, I have Josh Donaldson behind Moncada too, and then you get into less proven types like Brian Hayes, Alec Bohm, 
Justin Turner, who I think is about to fall out of usefulness in fantasy. Uh, J.D. Davis, Jamer Candelar- Candelaria, Jamer Candelario. Uh, so I have Moncada at the tail end of that group, I guess, that toward the tail end of that group of underachieving third basemen. Some will have him higher, I'm sure. But I will have him higher. Yeah, it's... I thought he was overrated anyway, coming off far and away his best season. And that's, that's the biggest reason for it. Like he had, he had to back up that season yeah. for me and clearly he didn't. Yeah, that's fair. Um, so Hayes, what about Hayes? This, Brian Hayes. This is one where, um, so here's the difficult thing. And we talked about this a little bit on the previous episode of, uh, you know, specifically about minor leaguers. It's really hard to say who got better and who got worse in 2020. Because most of them we just didn't get to see play. The ones who did, you know, some of them were like a Brian Hayes where he played 24 games. And 24 games is, I mean, it's nothing. Um, some of them, Luis Patino, who we saw for, what, nine innings in the bullpen in a role that he won't be in. So there's going to be a lot of guys who looked better than they were, looked worse than they are, stuff like that. And, you know, for Hayes, it's just... You have him 16th at the position. You have him ahead of, you know, surprisingly, I think, one Alec Bohm, who, um, you know, I, I think you liked more, certainly going into last season. He was oh, your certain. number four. They were probably 70 spots apart in my prospect. Yeah, rankings. he was your number four prospect, I think, going into last season or five. Not that high, um, but like like nine or something. Yeah. He was top 10. And I was I was uh, kind of alone in, in putting him that high. And, you know, obviously you love J.D. Davis. Um, mm-hmm. or you did. Well, he I disappointed. Did. I did. Um, he he kind of um, went away from everything I loved him for last year. But So my, my question with Brian Hayes is, so this is for the context for, for people who may not be aware, 751 career OPS in, in AAA, 752 career OPS in the minors, uh, 461 games. Overall, he put up an 11-24 OPS last season. The majors, 24 games. How good of a hitter do you think he is, or does he is he going to run enough, let's say, to make up for whatever you think he might be lacking in the, in the hitting department? Do you think he's an above-average major league hitter in 2021? Oh, yes. Yes, I am... My my position on Cabrian Hayes has radically transformed uh, based on those 24 games um, because he was amazing. He, really he was. was. He was electrifying in those 24 games. He was... And I had a feeling, I had a feeling this might happen. I, I wasn't willing to rank him based on it, but I kept it in the back of my mind that this is a possible out from outcome for Cabrian Hayes, a guy who is ranked high um, among traditional prospect rankings, mostly for his defense, but largely because you know you, you, you are a good defender because you're athletic, right? Yeah. So there's a base level of athleticism there. Um, and the contact rate was always good. And those same... Uh, one prospect that always stands out to me that shared those two two same characteristics. The scouts liked him. The contact rate was consistently high. The defensive rating was consistently high. Was Francisco Lindor? Come when on, he got, don't that's not fair. When he got to the majors, suddenly 
It's like it all came together for him. And the same thing appeared to happen to Cabrian Hayes. He crushed the ball. He hit it to all fields. He crushed it to all fields. He had more over-the-fence power than he ever showed in the minors. It was just... It, it, it was like, why... Why did we not hear about this when he was coming up through the minor? I mean, obviously, he wasn't producing like that, but... Um, I, I just have a hard time seeing the guy who put on that kind of 24 game show going back to being like a 270 hitter with 13 home runs over a full season. That just does not compute for me. So look, ranking him 16th at third base, obviously you, you don't have to make a huge investment in him. There's not really much downside to taking him where he's going to go. I just want to make sure I'm the guy who gets him because I'm very excited by what I saw from Cabrian Hayes in 2020. Would you like a wet blanket? Sure. Uh, Not really, but <laughs> for the sake of the podcast, sure. Uh, you talked about Max Exavilo as a reason to uh, buy into Vladimir Guerrero and Brian Hayes of hitters of 350 hitters who had at least 50 batted ball uh, events last season, ranked 121st in Max Exavilo at 110. Now, 121st out of 350 is not bad. It's like 65th percentile or something, but it's certainly not elite. And it's not the elite rate that the 92.8 average exit velocity suggests. And so, um, you know, max exit velocity is kind of, it's a, I think the, the way to view it in this context would be, it's a, it's a stand in for like, you know, the, the, I mean, you know, this Scott, but you know, raw versus game power on the scouting scale, you got, you know, a uh, 55 game 70 raw power. That means a guy who's a slightly above average power hitter but who is expected or could develop, you know, in uh and you know, a, a one that that's kind of what the difference between like Max and Max Exavilo as the raw power stand in and it makes me think that maybe he overperformed just a little bit or well, he obviously over. Right, right, right. But even like the the underlying, like the ninety two point eight eggs of mile, mile okay. per hour average eggs of velocity, and the underlying numbers. Sure. Um, and so, you know, and, and look, it's not him. It's not just him. You know, you had mm-hmm. someone like uh, Dominic Smith only had a one ten, and um, uh, Glaber Torres actually was slightly behind Brian Hayes, although Glaber Torres didn't hit that well last season. Um, but yeah, that that would be the 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 wet blanket I would throw is that he obviously overperformed, and you know I, I think the the underlying stats. Man, Glaber Torres has never been good at max exit velo. He's never been good at average exit velo either. Playing yeah. Yankee Stadium helps. Playing the Orioles. I mean, has Mookie helps. has Mookie bets? I don't. Uh, I don't know that there there are some players like that who just. You know, it's it's obviously not a perfect system. Um, yeah, I mean, look, it's it's a it's a measurement of one aspect of a game, but you can overcome it. Um, yeah, eh? yeah, Mookie's Mookie Mookie ranked twenty second in twenty sixteen in max max exit velocity. He only ranked ninety second in average exit velocity that year. So yeah, um, so yeah, I, I really. Look, obviously, I can't say for sure who Cabrian Hayes is going to be. 
my mind is open to a new world of possibilities based on how good he was in those 24 games. I think he hit seven home runs. I mean, five home runs in 24 games. Okay. Five home runs in 24 and with a lot of doubles and triples, right? Uh, yeah. Seven doubles, two triples. Okay. A lot of extra base hits and more over the fence than he, a pace far different than he ever showed in the minors. So, um, but the thing is like, you don't have to, I, I have him ahead of Alec Bohm, who has yeah. his own power concerns. He had four home runs in his 160 at bats. Justin Turner, who, as I said, I mean, may I, not I, don't have know, a job. I don't know that he's going to be an everyday player anymore. Yeah. The Dodgers seem like they're interested in moving on. So yeah. um, we'll see. And J.D. Davis, who, you know, I'm not totally turning the page on him, but there's a lot more reason to doubt his offensive profile now. So it's just like, I don't know. It just seems like a no downside play at this point. And you're probably talking about like round 15 in a 12 team draft. I'll do it. That's I'll fair. Do it every time. Every time. All right. We're going to take a break. And when we get back, we'll talk about shortstop. Chris is going to challenge me some more on fantasy baseball today. If you've ever been in the market for a new home, you know, home shopping can be a lot. There's so much you don't know and so much you need to know. What are the neighborhoods like? What are the schools like? Who is the agent who knows the listing or neighborhood best? And why can't all this information just be in one place? Well, now it is on homes.com. As somebody who's been through this, I can tell you these features are so, so incredibly valuable. They've got comprehensive neighborhood guides and detailed reports about local schools, and their agent directory helps you see the agent's current listings and sales history. The area you live in is just as important as the house itself. You can get to know a neighborhood without ever setting foot in it. Say you're a really active person. You could find out about the nearest parks. Do they have a baseball field? Maybe you want to join a softball league like Chris and I play in. Also, Homes.com collaboration tools makes it easier than ever to share all this information with your family. It's a whole cul-de-sac of home shopping information all at your fingertips. Homes.com, we've done your homework. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. You can earn four times points on your top two eligible spending categories every month, like transit, U.S. restaurants, and gas stations. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Four times points on up to $150,000 in purchases per year. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. All right, we are back. We're looking at my rankings. Chris is telling me what's wrong with them. We're going to move on to shortstop. It occurs to me, though, speaking of shortstop, that we haven't mentioned the big trade that happened. And well, yeah. it's it's by design. It's by design. I just, you know, for people who may be confused, we did an emergency podcast about 15 minutes long when the Francisco Lindor and, and Carlos Carrasco, when they got traded to the Mets. So if you're looking for analysis on that, you can find it separately in the same feed there. We broke it down as much as it could be broken down. And so now we get to look at more rankings on this podcast because of that. So that's with big breaking news. That's something we're going to be doing more often. Um, but on this this one, we are talking about my rankings. And let's get back to it. Shortstop, Xander Bogarts, Marcus Simeon. You don't like where I have either of them. Yeah, I mean, Xander Bogarts, it's it's kind of tough because it's the top of shortstop just seems really strong. And you also have two guys in Tim Anderson and Ad- Adalberto Mondesi who, to a certain extent, a lot of their 
value in fantasy doesn't just come from the fact that they're good hitters or in you know modesty's case at all from the fact that he's a good hitter but you know whereas xander bogarts it's kind of all the bat you know he is one of the best hitters in baseball um but xander bogarts behind Corey seager is is really interesting to me um because you know xander bogarts we've seen him basically the last three seasons in particular uh, has really just been one of the best hitters in the game. Um, you know, took a big step forward in 2018, took another step forward in 2019, took a small step back uh, in 2020, but I think, you know, still had a very, very good season. Um, isn't he kind of... I guess why Corey Seager over him? I'm all in on Corey Seager. He was... Uh, as amazing as he was last year, the expected stats say he should have been even better. I mean, he 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 hit like Mike Trout, basically, and it continued into the playoffs. He was one of the biggest stars of the playoffs. I guess Randy Arozarena would was the only one who topped him. Uh, I, I just think, I I think this time next year he's very likely to be a first round pick, and so. Um, you know, it, it looks like a bigger separation in these Roto rankings because I have Tim Anderson and Adalberto Mondesi in between. Mm-hmm. They're elevated in that format, obviously, because they're going to contribute in stolen bases. In a points league, Xander Bogarts is right behind Corey Seager for me. So that makes it maybe a little less glaring. They'll probably both be third-round picks. Maybe Bogarts will slide to round four. I don't know. Um, but they're they're being drafted very close together, and uh, I just think the ceiling for Seager's higher at this point. Bogarts is safer, has a st- stabler track record, but I don't really, I don't really worry about Seager taking a big step back. I mean, when he's been healthy, he's been an early round stud himself, and I think just took another step forward in his development in 2020. The only concern I would have would be I, I do think Corey Seager probably has a, a bit of a lower floor. Um, just because, you know, who he was before last season. Uh, and, and obviously I was, you know, right there with you last season and loving him and thinking he was, you know, hugely undervalued. Um, but, you know, who he was before that was, you know, more like a 22 to 24 homer guy. Uh, you know, didn't hit for quite as much bad. But then I start thinking about it and it's like, well, that's kind of who Corey Seager was or Xander Bogarts was before 2019 too. Right. Um, so I, do you worry for Xander Bogarts? Is it, is there a little bit of a discount because of the lineup he's in, you know, the lack of counting stats last season was, uh, you know, definitely a concern. He was not on anywhere close to a hundred run or RBI pace. Does that come into it at all? It didn't, but if you wanted to, if that, if that makes the case better, sure. I'm, I'm just but here to help. for me. I'm just here to help, Scott. Let's move on to Simeon, though, because we're rapidly running out of time here. Uh, yeah, it just uh, it feels pretty low for a guy that you really liked. Um, how much is there? Just 2018 was a bit of a, or 2019 was a bit of a fluke. How much? How much is just how bad he was in 2020 playing into it? Do you think he's going to be better? I think there's a chance. But I'm not confident. I mean, 2019 
because of what happened in t- what Simeon did in 2020 makes 2019 look like a complete fluke. I mean, obviously it was uh, heading into the season. I just I had I had hoped that there were some permanent changes made that now I I have real doubts about. So, um, you know, I, I have him just ahead of Jake Cronenworth, who's also eligible at this position, and who we talked about. And Cronenworth is triple eligible. I believe so. First, second, short. I believe that's right. Yeah. Uh, so I have Simeon just one spot ahead of him. So we're not talking about. We're not talking about like the stud range of players here. Mm-hmm. You know, at shortstop, we're we're beyond the studs here. Where I have Simeon ranked, I have him behind Didi Gregorius, behind Dansby Swanson. Uh, really, the start of a tier, probably. I'd, I'd probably tier Swanson and Gregorius together, and then below that you get Simeon, Cronenworth, Chris Taylor, uh, a couple guys behind them maybe. So it's it, I'm not bearing him in the rankings, but like I'm not investing in him either because I just it I'm torn between the 60 game sample. Is it completely meaningless? And pre 2019 looked a lot like the 60 game sample, you know? Sure. All right. So let's move on to starting pitcher. Obviously a lot of names Chris could have chosen here. He, he stuck with the two per position rule and went with Kenta Maeda and Denelson Lamette. And Lamette, I, I think I'm just going to be the low guy on Lamette. Um, I'm worried about the injuries. I'm worried. I don't quite buy the, production jump that we saw i mean we're 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 still talking about a guy i mean it was less than six innings per start uh the numbers were incredible 12k per nine 2.09 era with peripherals that largely back it up um he threw fewer innings in 2020 than he did in 2019 it was only four fewer innings mind you but it was still (laughs) you know that but that's the sample size we're talking about right (laughs) right but that's the sample size we're talking about 2019 he was coming back from tommy john surgery and before this he had really been you know a low to mid fours era guy it was not a, a huge sample size either way but neither was last year and i i i actually don't need you to justify it because i totally get why you and everyone is in on Denelson Lamette. Huge strikeout rate. Was awesome last year. Great supporting cast. But for me, he's currently not healthy, which is a bit of a red flag for a pitcher who has had Tommy John surgery in the very recent past. Um, and I just, his profile, he throws two pitches. I, I know there seems to be some controversy about whether he throws two different breaking balls. I don't think he does. I think it's just one breaking ball. Um, I just, I don't know. I think that that profile can go wrong really easily. Like, I think we just saw like the 95th percentile outcome for him. And, uh, given the injuries, it's just, I can't see any way I can draft Denelson Lamette in the range that he's going to go in. Um, but I, I get why people, what's like funny him. is I tried to dial it back a little because I'm concerned about the health. I'm concerned that just one day we're going to wake up like with Mike Clevenger this offseason and yeah. Nelson LeMay going in for second Tommy John. You have 19. You have him 19. Yeah, I, I want to rank him like 15th based on what he did. Um, so I'm, I'm kind of yes, yeah, I'm kind would... of trying. I'm kind of trying to rank him so that I don't get him. Or if I do get him, it's like he's my number four because I went so aggressively at starting pitcher, you know? Yeah. Um, 
And then, so we'll, we'll just, Kenta Maeda, it just feels a little too rich for me. Um, I think he barely averaged six innings per start last season. That was obviously a career high, um, even when you take out the relief pitch appearances. I think he's very good. I agree with you. He did have a 270 ERA last season with peripherals that totally matched it up. Uh, has always been a good swing strike rate pitcher. Um, I have concerns about him being able to do it for a full 33 starts. And it's well, not... What's that? He's, of course, never done that before. The Dodgers yeah. never let him do that before. And, and that's always the question. Yeah. You know. Yeah. I mean, the, the six innings a start thing... Um, a couple things. First of all, the pitch count was always low when they pulled mm-hmm. him after six innings. And I think, I, I think that shows he could have gone deeper if the twins needed him to, but they just didn't need him to. Sure. And also there's not really anybody behind him. Yeah. Or not many that I trust to be more than a six inning pitcher. Lance Lynn. Sure. He's, he's a few spots behind Maeda, but I don't think he's as good as Maeda. Uh, and, you know, you could go further down like a Framber Valdez, Zach Wheeler. Okay. Yeah, they're, they're more reliable than, than Kenta Maeda for the innings, but obviously a lower class of starting yeah. pitcher. So, yeah, it was a bit it was a bit uh, alarming to rank Maeda as high as 11th. It was kind of a statement ranking, but it's it's partly because I, I'm not confident with what Walker Bueller, how the Dodgers are going to use him. So I had to, I had to put somebody ahead of Bueller. Yeah. Um, and Jack Flaherty, you know, I think Jack Flaherty's fine, but he was, you know, the numbers weren't good. The numbers weren't good. I, I think he's fine. He missed a lot of time because the Cardinals were shut down for so long. Yeah. And the numbers didn't end up in a good place. But peripherally, he still looks strong. Did he have COVID? He didn't have COVID. I, I don't think he had COVID. Okay. I, I don't think no, he did. No, he didn't. So many of the Cardinals did. I lost track. Yeah, of who I, I, I don't did, think he but, did. Yeah, um, but they got shut down for a long time, and he had to kind of ramp up all over again. So it just it totally messed up his season. Yeah, I, I think, think he's fine, but I, I don't know. I just feel more comfortable with Kenta Maeda. He was he was dominant, more dominant than I think most people will realize. Uh, I think he had the second best xFIP or swinging strike rate or something like that among all qualifiers. Yeah, he had seventeen point four percent swinging strike rate, which is absurdly which high third. for a starting pitcher. He. Uh, which, it was better than Shane Bieber's. Yeah, I would say I would probably go Flaherty and Bueller over him. Um, but yeah, I, I think it's probably more just one of those ones where I'm just not going to draft Maeda too much. I, I think I think Flaherty and Bueller, you're going to be in the majority yeah. on doing that. Yeah, I, I think those are the the two that would be the easiest to rank over him. I think that's just the knee jerk thing to do. Actually, I think that's All right. right. Outfielders Trent Grisham and Teoscar Hernandez, a couple of players who weren't really being drafted in standard mixed leagues at this time a year ago. And they are, I mean, Grisham is what, 19th at outfielder for you? Um, uh, let me check. Yeah, I, 17th. 17th. 17th in this format. Another one where the minor league track record doesn't quite back up what he did, although it's not you know a, a huge outlier necessarily, especially if you just look at 2019. He had a, a really good 2019 season. And uh, you know there were some reports that I saw that he had, you know the one of the reasons the Padres went after him in the trade for Luis Arias was 
you know, he had posted really impressive, um, you know, underlying batted ball data in the uh, minor league parks where he had played. Um, it it just feels. What do you expect him to be? Like it's like, what's a comp? A comp. Hmm. Well, oh, okay. Let me just first of all say before I answer that question, that's harder to answer. <laughs> sure. It's Roto. Yes. He runs. Yes. That makes a huge difference. Yes. That makes a huge difference. He stole 10 bases in that limited sample. It was a 10-10 guy. If you project that out, that's like a 25-25 season or something like that. Yep. Almost exactly. Uh, yeah. Uh, so that's that's the biggest thing here is he runs. Okay. Yeah. I, I, one of the things that's hard about that is he basically had one season in the minors where he ran like that. Uh, he had 12 stolen bases in 97 games, 13 if you include uh, the majors in 2019, so 13 in about 140-something games, and then 11 in 107. But going back to 2017, he had 37 in 133. Mm-hmm. So I, it is a lot riding on the stolen bases. Yeah, is I guess the the one concern I would have is he it, like if you just project out his numbers, are they that different from Kyle Tucker's? I mean, he's kind of a less hyped version of Kyle Tucker. I uh, feel like worse batting average. Um, but it no, was, not, but you know, he he underachieved his expected batting average by like twelve points. Yeah. Um. No, it's it's not much worse, but Kyle Tucker did have a much stronger track record in the minors. Of course. And, and I didn't rank is, Kyle yeah. Tucker ahead, and you know nobody could change my mind on that. But I'm I'm just saying, like, if you take Grisham's numbers at face value, and there's potential to believe he's a little better than that, even um, there's obviously no reason to quibble over this ranking. And you know, maybe maybe it was a fluke, but there were a lot of people believing in him going into the year too, and uh, I think clearly he. He made a strong case that he's here to stay. So, yeah, I feel good about that one. Trent Grisham, 17th in Roto. All right, relief pitcher, last position here. Trevor Rose, obviously talking about relief pitcher rankings. It's going to be really hard. There's a lot of free agents out there, including one of these guys, Trevor Rosenthal and Craig Kimbrell. Yeah, obviously, if, if Rosenthal doesn't sign as a team's closer, you will move him a lot down, down. way down you yeah. have, I have uh, an eighth right now but uh, in between Kirby Yates also a free agent who, and by the way Kirby Yates is behind Brad Brad Hand also a free agent and Kirby Yates the Dodgers are interested in him which would be very bad for his value well or or very bad for Kenley Jansen's value I don't think they're going to take Kenley Jansen out of the role he He'd deserves have, to be out of the yeah, role. They, st- they keep they keep toying with it in the playoffs because yeah, they clearly don't have a lot of faith in him yeah, at this point but they never did it you know, they haven't, like, just taken him out yet. And um, they haven't had a Kirby Yates yet. They had a Blake Trinan. Oh, come on. He's no good. No comparison. Um, yeah. <sighs> Rosenthal, though, man. Like, he, this was a guy who, I mean, he wasn't out of baseball, but he was certainly uh, a forgotten man before 2020. So how much of it is just you 
just by the way the stuff plays up in in the bullpen. You know, fourteen point four K per nine in in uh, twenty 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 three start or twenty three games, um, but you know, the performance even as a reliever uh, was a you know a pretty big outlier in compared to relative uh, recent seasons. Yeah, no, he was he was amazing. He was the best we've ever seen Trevor Rosenthal be, and that's saying something because you know he was a noteworthy closer yeah. before having the injuries before really control was even when he was good control was a major problem for him. And it's just like he figured that out last year. Uh, it wasn't a problem for him anymore. He was still throwing a hundred miles per hour. Like he was before Tommy John surgery. I believe it was, it was Tommy John. He had right. Yep. Um, 38 strikeouts in 23 and two thirds innings, man, like 2020 was not a good year. For there, there weren't a lot of like stud relief performances, mm-hmm. especially from pitchers in line for saves. So Rosenthal, I think he ended up being the top closer and the top relief pitcher in one of the formats. I should have that. That's the thing I would have looked up and put in notes uh, that I don't have. <laughs> I may be wrong about that, but if memory serves, if he wasn't number one, it was very Roto. high. Up it there. wasn't point, so it might have been Roto. Yeah, I don't know. I I could be completely wrong, but. Um, you know, if you use kind of my starting point for rankings is, okay, where were these guys finished last year? And then adjust from there. Um, and it was, you know, it, it was pretty easy to justify Rosenthal this high uh, considering that. You know, there's so much volatility at relief pitcher anyway. These guys don't have, they don't last long. Yeah. Um, they're, not, they're not one thing for very long. Yeah. Tip, generally speaking. And so, like, I don't need a long track record, really, to, to influence where I rank them. Because, like, who knows? It's, it's fleeting. That's fair. Closers are fleeting. Relievers are fleeting. I will point out one thing uh, about the other closer that I picked, Craig Kimbrell. I was high on him coming into last year. His numbers overall were very bad, 528 ERA, uh, really bad control, but... But he basically had five bad outings to start the season. He basically had like a bad week and a half. Uh, his first appearance was on July 27th. His fourth appearance was on August 4th or August 6th, excuse me. In those four appearances between then, he gave up seven earned runs in three innings. That's real bad. Five walks in those three innings, only two strikeouts. From that point on, his final 14 outings, 12 and two-thirds innings, 142 ERA, 26 strikeouts, still a decent number of walks, but not nearly as bad. It was around a 14% walk rate. I will just point out, Craig Kimbrell, we said this at the start of last season that we would have to watch out for guys who had really bad stretches uh, and otherwise performed well or you know, vice versa. I think Kimbrell is better than his numbers indicate. Uh, 2019 obviously was a disaster, but... I think he had a very good excuse for why it was. He didn't get to pitch until July through no fault of his own. I will be drafting quite a bit of Craig Kimbrell again in 2020 and one or 2021. Excuse me. I'm going to make that mistake a lot. And one thing I really like for Craig Kimbrell, the Cubs have a very high, a very strong incentive to get him a lot of saves this season. Yeah. Cause they well, would love look, to trade him by July. I, 
Yeah, you'd think so. That's a good point. My, my thought was, I agree with your breakdown of Craig Kimbrell's season. I think he proved he's still good in a very under-the-radar way. The Cubs and David Ross were so reluctant to, to move him back into the role mm-hmm. that I just wonder if they're going to feel the same way. But maybe, maybe that trade angle uh, will make it easier to justify, and then I can move him up in my rankings. But... He's 14th for now, and we are done for now. I think I think I think we did pretty well. I think, I think that was fun. I hope people enjoyed it. Contrary to popular belief, we're actually pretty talented, and we don't need notes. <laughs> well, Who you needs are. notes. Nobody. We don't. I'm All a right. hack. Well, you do? No, I'm a yeah. hack. You're talented. I'm a hack. Ah, please. Whatever. Just look at that shirt. <laughs> Pictures of your dog all over yeah, it. You're, check you're out a- YouTube.com slash fantasy baseball today. Check out that's Stevie Nicks. That's the puppy. And uh, there's like a hundred of him on my shirt. Yeah. Yep. Talent right there. All right. We'll see you later. Bye-bye. Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story. And one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on the Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based championship team.